Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, LifePoint family. Thanks so much for joining us for our online service today. You know, as we dive in, I want to begin by asking all of you a question. Have you ever set out to accomplish something or do something for which you weren't prepared? Maybe you set out to pass a test that you didn't study well enough for, or, or maybe you took on some kind of home repair project without having the proper experience or know-how, or it could be that there was a time where you had to give some kind of presentation at work and you didn't necessarily know the material as well as you needed to. I'm sure all of us can uh, at least relate to a degree uh, to what I'm describing now. You see, I think when we find ourselves in those situations, there are times, by the grace of God alone, that things turn out all right. We pass the test that we have no business passing. We are able to complete the home repair project without making it worse or ending up in the ER, right? These things happen at times by the grace of God. But then... There are those times when we're not prepared and it shows. And due to our lack of preparedness, we fail to accomplish whatever it is we set out to do. Well, there was this time on October 8th, 2008, and it was an unseasonably warm day in the city of Chicago. The high was 98 degrees Not exactly ideal weather for the running of the Chicago Marathon. This would be the second year in a row that my wife, Erin, you don't get it twisted, I wasn't running any kind of marathon. My wife, Erin, was going to run her second marathon in a row. Now, she had completed the race one year prior back in 2007, but it was a pretty brutal experience. Unfortunately, the race day in 2007 also had temps in the high 90s. And as the race went on, organizers ran out of water for all of the runners. Things got so bad, they actually canceled the race in the middle of the whole thing in an effort just to ensure the safety of the runners. Now, if you know my wife, you know she's not short on determination and mental toughness. And so despite the fact that they canceled the race when she was at mile 20, she was determined to cross the finish line. And she did. Now, that year, we actually, Aaron and I, ran the last nine miles of that race together. As a spectator, I jumped into the race and ran alongside with her, hoping, hoping to be some kind of motivator or encourager for her as she grinded it out toward the finish line. Now, by no means am I a distance runner. However, at that particular time, I was playing soccer uh, for Moody Bible Institute, and so I was in fairly decent shape, and, and so running nine miles wasn't as big of a deal. Well, the marathon then in 2008 was meant to be redemption for a tough experience the year prior. Aaron had altered her training regimen, and she was ready to go. Now, Being the kind and supportive boyfriend that I was at the time, I thought it would be a fantastic idea to run the last nine miles of the race with her again. I even had a shirt made for race day. It says, I'm with her, and it had Aaron's bib number on it. 
And so I, I thought about wearing that shirt this morning, but then I realized, you know what, that might become a crop top at this stage of the game and probably not too appropriate. Nobody wants to see that. So here's the thing. I had this shirt made, right? And I, was, I had this plan and I, I was going to run these last nine miles with Aaron. And the thing was, though, Aaron's training wasn't the only thing that had changed about our experience in 2008. I was no longer playing soccer And I hadn't been doing any sort of training. And so, just like the previous year, I jumped in with her at mile 17. And for a while, everything was just fine. But at mile 23, with 3.2 miles left to go, I hit a wall. Now, Aaron, mind you, was killing it, but I was done ironically i was supposed to be playing the role of encourager and motivator and aaron though was now trying to keep me going and so finally by the grace of god we round the final corner of this course we have point one mile left we can see the finish line aaron after running 26.1 miles opens up her stride and starts running faster. Meanwhile, I can feel my eyeballs literally start rolling back in my head. I kid you not. As soon as I crossed the finish line, I passed out cold into the arms of some race volunteer who was standing at the finish line. It was lights out for me. I was gone. And at this point, they put me on the back of a golf cart and whisked me away to the medical tent. Meanwhile, Aaron, who just ran an entire marathon, is now running behind this golf cart that I'm on as we head off to this medical tent trying to keep up with us. Well, in the medical tent, they immediately put me in this huge ice bath. I had a temperature of 105 degrees. I start getting an IV. I'm eating bananas. I'm drinking Gatorade. Threw all of that up, not to be too graphic, but I need you to understand how dire this situation was. And if that experience weren't bad enough already, the people working in the medical tent were my peers, And not only were they my peers, they were college girls who were in various nursing programs all across the city of Chicago. And in order to take my temperature, they utilized a method that is normally reserved for infants, if you know what I mean. You see, to say that I was not prepared for what I set out to do that day is a vast understatement. Just ask my wife. And in this situation, I failed due to my lack of preparation and training. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at another example. That that story still haunts me. We're going to look at another example of failure caused by a lack of preparation. And we're also going to see how one person's failure had an adverse effect on those around him. Last week, we talked about the goal being we want to learn from the mistakes of others so that we don't repeat the same mistake in our own life. And hopefully, as we learn from our mistakes or the mistakes of others, we'll be able to fail 
forward, meaning that we won't be uh, hit a permanent setback because of our mistakes and fails, but we'll be able to learn from those things, and they'll ultimately help us to make progress in growing to become more and more like Jesus. And so with all that being said, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible or open up your Bible app to Exodus chapter 32. And as you do so, allow me to provide you with just a little bit of context for us this morning. You see, all the way back in Exodus chapter 24, God calls Moses to speak with him at the top of Mount Sinai. And the purpose of this conversation is for God to communicate these instructions and further rules for the Israelites to follow. And Moses ends up being on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But prior to his leaving some of the the presence of the other leaders of the Israelites, Moses places Aaron in charge. Now, we were introduced to Aaron last week just briefly, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 3. And we talked about how when Moses continually made excuses and ultimately refused to return to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh to demand that the Israelites be freed, he refused to do that. God then sent Aaron to join Moses on his quest. And since then, Aaron has become uh, the right-hand man for Moses. So now let's jump back to our story in Exodus chapter 32, and we'll start with verse 1. Allow me to read that for us. It says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come and make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now, uh, having spent hundreds of years in Egypt, the Israelites had grown accustomed to the pagan worship practices of the Egyptians, which included visible gods or idols. And now Moses, who represented God to the Israelites, had been gone for six weeks. There was no timetable for his return. And it's not like Moses could just text the Israelites and say, hey guys, enjoy my conversation up here on the mountaintop with God. You guys should really see the views from up here. It's incredible. Uh, Be home soon. Love you, Moses. No, he's not able to do that. And so with this extended absence, the Israelites get impatient. And they get restless. And then they come to Aaron with this request. Come, make us gods. Of course, we know that is a, that's a foolish request. And even in the moment, the Israelites knew that was a bad idea. You see, back in Exodus chapter 20, God made it very clear to the Israelites that this sort of worship was off limits. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 says this, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And if that weren't clear enough, God goes on to say in Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. But not only did the people know this was a bad idea, so did Aaron. He would have been well aware of God's commands, yet that doesn't seem to have any impact on his response. Check out what happens in Exodus chapter 2, verses uh, 2 and 4. It says, Aaron answered them, 
Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You see, unfortunately, the foolish request of the people led to a foolish decision from Aaron. He complies with their request and makes an idol in the shape of a calf. Now, the decision to make a calf would, uh, would have once again been influenced by their time in Egypt because the calf was a common object in, in the worship uh, of worship in Egypt, symbolizing virility and power. And while I think it's understandable that Aaron could make a rash and hasty decision in the heat of the moment and consent to make an idol for the people— His actions to construct the idol were deliberate. He should have had the time he needed to pump the brakes and get things back on track. But for whatever reason, he fails to right the ship. And not only that, his actions continue to steer the people off course. Let's read verses 5 and 6 of chapter 32. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You see, as if making the idol for the people weren't bad enough, he is now promoting worship of this idol by declaring that there is going to be this festival to the Lord. And essentially, this gives the people license to further participate in adultery and behave in ways that are inappropriate. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy. We've only gotten to verse 6, but this situation has spiraled completely out of control. It's a complete mess. It seems the entire nation of Israel has lost their way. And I can't help but wonder, how did the Israelites get here? How does something like this happen? And while certainly there are many factors to consider, it's hard to deny that the downward trajectory began with the failure of Aaron. He gave in to the demands of the people rather than doing what he knew was right. You see, back in verse 1, the Israelites came to Aaron with that request, make us a God, make us an idol. And as previously mentioned, God made it clear to the people that that sort of behavior was not okay. It was a black and white issue. There was no gray area here. And certainly, the the request made by the Israelites was, was foolish and sinful. It was a request that should have never been made. But nevertheless, they brought their request to Aaron for his approval. And so Aaron is now faced with this decision. Will I stand firm and do what I know is right? Or will I give in to the request of others? Will I succumb to the pressure from others and do what I know is wrong? And perhaps this is the decision you've had to make in your own life. Maybe you'll have, you've had to ask yourself, will I run my business with integrity or will I cut corners to appease the board or investors? 
You've had to ask yourself, will I redirect a conversation that turns into gossip or will I join in? Will I lie to cover up my own mistakes so I avoid getting into trouble or will I own up to those mistakes and the actions that I've made? Will I rebuke someone for making a racially insensitive joke or comment or will I add fuel to the fire? See, no matter where we go or what we do, we're faced with these types of decisions all the time. And unfortunately, in this particular scenario, Aaron did not make the right decision. And we see, we've seen this disastrous domino effect of this one decision, how this one, what the, this domino effect has had on the rest of the nation of Israel. Now, of course, Aaron probably didn't wake up thinking he would make such a significant mistake or fail in such a significant way. I'm sure he wasn't planning to give in to the people or crack under the pressure that he felt to meet their demands. In fact, he probably woke up with the exact opposite goal. I'm going to lead these people closer to God. I want to push them towards obedience to God. However, while he may not have been planning to fail in that way, the bigger issue is that he didn't prepare himself to ensure that it wouldn't happen. In other words, he set out to accomplish something for which he wasn't prepared. And I don't know about you, but that makes me wonder, well, well what was he failing to do in his personal walk with God that, that caused him at the first sign of pressure to fold? What was he lacking that made him unable to stand for what was right? You see, Exodus 32 is, is a sobering reminder that one bad decision one instance in which we choose to obey man's wishes instead of God can bring about so much devastation. And Aaron's experience is definitely something that we need to learn from so we can avoid making the same mistake in our own life. And if that's our goal, then the question for us becomes, are you preparing yourself today to stand firm tomorrow? Are you preparing yourself today to stand firm tomorrow? Because let me remind you, it's not a good idea to jump into the race and run nine miles without training. You can't decide on race day, I'm going to run a marathon. It requires months of preparation and training. And if you fail to train well, you're going to end up in big trouble. You might even pass out or have a thermometer placed somewhere where you never want it to be. You see, there's no denying the importance of preparation, but it doesn't always come easily. Craig Rochelle says the hardest person to lead is yourself. It requires discipline, which is choosing what you want most over what you want now. And if, you want, and if what you want most is to live in obedience to God, to stand firm and do what you know is right, especially in the face of opposition. You have to prepare. And so again, I ask, are you doing, what are you doing now to become the kind of person you want to be? What are you doing now today so that you can stand firm tomorrow or next week or six months from now? 
See, if you don't already have a plan in place, then I would encourage you to start by taking a, very, a few very simple steps. Read your Bible, pray, and get in community. There's nothing crazy about any of these things. It's so simple. Read your Bible, pray, and get in the community. See, first, when it comes to reading our Bible, that's something that we need to be doing on a daily basis. And you might say, well, I read my Bible on occasion, but are you reading your Bible daily? And I know it can feel daunting to just pick up the Bible and start reading. And so I would encourage you to join in on the reading plan that that we just started this past week as a church just a few days ago. It's a 25-day reading plan that focuses on the writings of John. You can find all of that information on LifePoint's social media accounts so that you can join and dive in with us on that plan. The second step of our our plan is prayer. And uh, for this step, I would simply encourage you to get a journal and write out a prayer to God every day. Be real. Be authentic. Share your heart with God. And during that time of prayer, carve out time to just simply be still and listen to what he might have to say to you. And then finally, get in community. You see, we need one another to grow in our relationship with God. We need one another to challenge and rebuke and encourage each other so we can become more like Jesus. And so if you're not already in a life group, one of our small group Bible studies, I would encourage you to join one this summer. What else are you going to do? You can't go on vacation. You can't even eat in restaurants right now. All the parks are closed. There's nothing to do. Join a life group. And see, the beauty of it is that they're starting this upcoming week, so you're not too late. And this particular session is only six weeks long. And so if it ends up not being your thing, you can endure it for six weeks. It won't be that bad. And all you have to do is jump online, lifepoint.org slash groups, and you can check out all the groups we have and get registered on our website. Read your Bible, pray, get in community. And of course, when it comes to spiritual preparation, there's nothing new about these things. There's nothing, uh, these aren't new, you know, sexy fads in the world of spiritual growth and development. But I will tell you, there's a big difference between those who practice these things and those who don't. And so I hope you'll take a step today to begin to prepare yourself to become the follower of Jesus you want to be. And of course, there's so much personal benefit when we work to become mature followers of Christ who stand firm for what is right. But there's not only personal benefit, there is a huge benefit to those around us. Let me take you back to Exodus chapter 32 and starting in verse 7, God tells Moses what's going on in the Israelite camp at the bottom of the mountain. And eventually Moses makes his way down the mountain and he begins to address the situation. Check out what he does in verses 19 and 20 of verse 32. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Moses is not messing around. And after making the Israelites drink their idol, Moses turns his attention to Aaron and he asks this question, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin 
You see, Moses' question reveals that the responsibility for what has taken place rests primarily on Aaron's shoulders. And of course, the rest of the Israelites, they're not innocent under all of this. That is clear. However, it was Aaron who could have and should have put a stop to it before it even began. He had the opportunity to stand firm and do what he knew was right. Unfortunately, Aaron failed in this crucial moment, and now he's being held responsible for leading others astray. We find a similar situation in Galatians chapter 2. And Peter came to visit Paul in the city of Antioch. And and while he was there, Peter, who was a Jew, was eating with Gentiles, non-Jews. And there was a time when this would not have been acceptable according to the Jewish laws and customs because the Gentiles were viewed as unclean. However, back in Acts chapter 10, God re- or, uh, Peter received this vision from God that broke down these barriers. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And so as a result of this, Peter was totally fine with eating with the other Gentiles in Antioch. That is until some of his Jewish buddies arrived. Galatians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, But when they, other Jews, arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You see, like Aaron... Peter succumbed to the pressure, whether perceived or real, from his Jewish buddies. And as a result, he failed to stand firm and do what he knew was right. And unfortunately, his failure led other people to sin as well. Thank you. Thankfully, in, in this particular scenario, Paul confronted Peter, and he put a stop to the hypocrisy. And had he not stepped in, this instance in Galatians chapter 2 may have ended just like the story and the situation in Exodus chapter 32 with severe consequences. You see, not only was Aaron responsible for leading the Israelites astray, but now they were subject to consequences for the sin they had committed. In addition to drinking their idol, 3,000 Israelites were killed for their idolatry and the nation of Israel was struck with a plague as, as their punishment for sin. It's a tragic end to a terrible situation. But just think, if Aaron had stood firm in verse 2 and rejected the Israelites' request for an idol to be made, imagine the misery he would have saved the Israelites from experiencing. Like I said moments ago, there is so much personal benefit when we work to become a follower of Jesus who stands firm. But there is also huge benefit to others when we stand firm as well. Just ask the Israelites. And so in light of Aaron's failure, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, how will my decision of whether or not to stand firm and do what's right impact others? What will the impact be on my marriage? What will the ripple effect be on my kids? What will the impact be on my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends? You see, we can't be so naive to think that 
other people won't be affected by the choices that we make in these crucial moments. I also think that we have a tendency to view this topic through the lens of our interaction with those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. We think something like, I I have to stand firm so I don't succumb to the pressure of those who who don't know Jesus or who don't share my faith. Or I have to stand firm so that I have a solid witness for those who don't yet know Jesus. And while those things are super important, super valid, I think we often neglect how standing firm plays out in the church. Or we don't consider how important it is to stand firm even amongst other believers. And so I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what will the impact of my decision be on my church family? One of the things that really stands out to me about what takes place in Exodus chapter uh, 32 and Galatians 2 is that these situations happen within the faith community. People who love God and follow God. The Israelites are called God's chosen people. And what plays out the events that unfold in Galatians chapter 2, it's in the context of believers in the early church. You see, you might assume that it would be easy to stand firm in those environments, surrounded by people who love God, who even believe the same things you do. But that's not always necessarily the case. And while the church is a safe place where we should strive to be real with one another, I think we're unwise to let our guard down to the degree that we are no longer prepared to stand firm when the time comes. Just because we're among other believers, we can't assume that we'll never find ourselves in a situation in which we need to stand firm. Satan is always looking to attack, and we'd be foolish to think that he won't try to find his way into the faith community. And so for the sake of your fellow brothers and sisters at LifePoint and for the sake of the health of the church, do what needs to be done so that you're prepared to stand firm when the time comes. Throughout our lives, there will be countless times when we're faced with the decision to stand firm in obedience to God or to succumb to the wishes of man. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I'm prepared to stand firm in those moments so that my actions only point to Jesus. And if you share that desire as well, let's do what we can to prepare ourselves today so that we can stand firm tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we need you. We need your help, God, to stand firm. We can't do it alone. God, if we try to accomplish this feat in our own strength, we will fall every time. But God, through our relationship with Jesus, God, through the Holy Spirit living in us, you've given us this ability to live in such a way that we can be a bold witness, a bold testimony, God, inside and outside the walls of the church, inside and outside the community of faith. God, help us to live in such a way that you are honored and glorified in every decision that we have to make. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. 
Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.